What's going on, Digital Wildcat? Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. So we've been gone for a couple weeks. Shady's back. Yeah, I did solo. We have figured out, because our average show is what, like 30, 35 minutes? Me alone was 17. Oh, yeah? So, so we, like we've qua- we've quantified. <laughs> we've quantified the contributions. Yes, we have. I like even, it. Evenly split down the middle almost. So anyways, uh, I had a good show that I was going to do last week, but we had technical difficulties, so we didn't get to do it. But we're going to cover some of that stuff today. But why don't you, before we get into, you know, my theme for the show today yep. is energy tech. Uh, yeah, let's hit the big deal using, in the Delaware. Yeah, just, let's do that. just real let's do quick. That first. first and foremost, everyone out there in digital wildcatters land, Collins Prostate has healed. He's back. He's healthy. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> Screw got- you for saying, watch this dumpster fire when I was going solo. I was getting, I got like three messages asking about my prostate. I had to watch BDE. And I was like, I automatically knew I was like, fucking Chuck said something about my prostate on BDE. So exactly. Anyways, I'm here. I'm good. Okay. I'm going to stop pointing when I talk about your prostate. <laughs> That's bad. That's bad. No. So we had a big deal out in the Delaware. Colgate merged with Centennial. Have we hit peak oil and gas when an oil and gas company in the Delaware is buying a toothpaste company? Maybe. Maybe we have. But. So Colgate was a private company, is backed by Pearl Energy. That's Billy Quinn's uh, private equity firm. That was their big investment. Um, Will Hickey and James Walter are the co-CEOs of that entity. Combined $7 billion deal, almost 200,000 net acres out there, 135,000 barrels a day of oil production. So a big company, biggest pure play in the Delaware. But this is what this tells us. Colgate was running kind of the independent track. You know, when you have a big enough company, Colin, you draft an S1 to file to go public because yeah. that's always your threat yeah. to the other party is, hey, you know, we'll merge and all this, but I'm doing this, you know, so you got to make it worth my while. So I think what this tells you, because James Walter and Will Hickey are going to be the co-CEOs of the combined entity, they were willing to run a public company so i think this tells you the market is potentially closed for a smaller ipo in oil and gas so because they in effect went public by merging with centennial who's already public yeah so i think that tells us something um you your thought is that they kind of shot the deal a bit so they just to get sentiment and you think that there was nothing there is that No, I think what I'm saying is is a lot of times you'll sell because you don't want to run a public company if you're management. Clearly, these guys are willing to run a public company. And so they decided to merge with Centennial instead of going public on their own. So I don't know anything unique here on the deal. I haven't talked to any of the guys involved, but that just kind of tells me, okay, they had to do this merger with a public company and go public that way instead of just doing a pure IPO. Maybe the market's not open for a smaller company. Maybe, you know, as this deal gets populated because they're going to have a proxy vote on it, maybe we'll learn more. We'll learn more about uh, synergies and the like. The market's kind of poo-pooed the deal a little bit. Centennial stocks down, you know, it's trading at, call it 650 right now, and it's down a buck. 50 since the, or so since the announcement of the deal. So maybe well, I guess stocks just don't get any love. That's why I don't own any because yeah. there's just like no correlation with commodity prices. It's yeah, like, I oh, know. We're the cool. biggest <laughs> bull run we've ever had. 
But um, anyway, the uh, I will say this. I mean, the the Colgate management team is a really, really good team. Um, so this is what we've talked about a million times on BDE. Private equity company wants out. What do they do? They have to merge with a public company. They got about $500 million in cash. The rest they're taking in stock and they'll bleed that stock out over time. So we, you know, about a month, month and a half ago, we were talking about um, the IPO of the LNG shipper company or ship company and going, okay, maybe the, the, the market is opening for IPOs and energy. Yeah. This is a data point that says maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. So, but yeah. Ryan Knuckles said that he's worked alongside the Colgate team um, for a few years. Incredibly well-ran company. The merger created premier player in the Delaware. Yeah, I mean, it sounds yeah. like Colgate. No, Col Colgate, they're, they're, they're sharp guys. The, the Hickey family has a long lineage of folks in the energy business that have done really well. So Colgate's the preferred oil and gas company recommended by five out of six dentists. Somebody better get to that sixth dentist and <laughs> convince him. But uh, no, hopefully. So, so, I, saw, so I, saw Billy... comment, I saw a comment on Twitter the other day. Um, someone was at uh, the Doug conference and said, if you're sitting here in these presentations, it's very clear that the, uh, the common thread from all the oil and gas companies was about M&A and he expected a surge of M&A. I thought that was interesting because one, in 2020, 2021, we saw a massive wave of M&A and consolidation, and it made sense given a depressed uh, commodity environment. What would be the reasoning for increased M&A and consolidation at high oil and gas prices right now? Uh, I think investors are still beating you up in terms of watch your costs. So consolidation theoretically leads to lower costs. So you still have the investors bitching at you, you know, pay a dividend, buy back shares, bigger is better. So I think that is there. You bring up a good point because I think a, another subtle takeaway we can surmise from this is you and I talked, call it four or five weeks ago on BDE, that I'd heard rumors that the bigger oil and gas companies were going to say, screw the investors, we're going to cut checks for assets because this is a buying opportunity like we've never seen before. Yeah. And they were just going to go bid. And if one or two of them won and stocks got pummeled, then okay, they, nobody else would do it again. This may be evidence that that's not happening because- yeah. You got to think that a private equity firm would take a check over stock lag into it, you know, all, yeah. all of that. So was there a big cash bid out in the Delaware? Maybe not. You know, don't know that, but maybe surmising. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think kind of looking at this deal, it's the same thing. Bigger is better. Cut cost. Pay me a dividend. You know, be careful with free cash flow. IPO market for for a smaller standalone company, probably not open yet and no cash buyers at stuff this big. Yeah. The, um, I'll be interested to see if you see a wave of M&A just because it didn't seem like you could have any more consolidation than what we had over the last couple of years. So just thought that was an interesting point. Um, the, the comment I heard about Doug, I heard the same thing that everybody was up there preaching consolidation and all. But the subtle thread underneath it was, and I'm available to run the combined companies. <laughs> <laughs> so.
yeah, take that's, that. I, I, I imagine that that's always the hard part of mergers or smash codes within private equity portfolio companies is, you know, the uh, oil and gas industry is pretty infamous for dick measuring contests. So who gets to actually be the management team left in place well, and run the operation? Well, people always say that oil and gas CEOs are stupid and dumb and all that. No, they're not. They're getting cash comp each year. <laughs> and every time their options are worthless, they get them repriced. They're the best fucking investors in oil and gas <laughs> there is. You yeah, know? say you're stupid all they want. But. Exactly. All right. All right. So what were you going to... Uh, uh, gonna do yeah. last week when I was gone. So there's a couple of interesting things at play here. One, over the last several weeks, let's call it the last month, uh, we've had a lot of activity in oil and gas tech financing, which is interesting because you know the genesis of Digital Wildcatters was when we started the Oil and Gas Startups podcast show. Uh, the common thread for oil and gas tech companies was that there was a lack of early stage capital uh, for these softwares. And now you're starting to see Series B rounds coming from uh, top tier Silicon Valley type VCs. And so Combo Curve, uh, which if you're not familiar with Combo Curve, they're a uh, uh, accounting reserve forecasting software aiming to replace Aries, PhD, Win, some of these older uh, legacy tools. And they just raised a Series A, I believe it was $10 million, not that long ago, six or seven months ago, and recently just announced that they raised a $50 million Series B. And he had some top-tier VCs on there. He had Bessemer and Dragoneer. And so $50 million Series B for oil and gas technologies, a monster round. Um, if you would have gone back to 2018, you know, this would have really kind of been unheard of. And then I think if, if you even go back further, it's unheard of. I mean, if yeah. you're talking, if you're talking pure kind of digital type technology stuff, not a new yeah. oil field service widget, maybe. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you're seeing some serious uh, capital allocations and then Landgate. Uh, announced their Series B, which Landgate is a uh, land platform, uh, land and mineral platform uh, that, uh, that they've just got a ton of data, both for uh, mineral owners and uh, for land groups. And this goes across the spectrum from oil and gas to renewables. And they raised a $10 million Series B that was led by Nextera Energy. And uh, if you don't know Nextera, Nextera is a... Uh, leading uh, renewable energy uh, producer. And then Cameron. it's an electric utility that has a really good spin on it. But keep going. Keep going. We could do a whole podcast about yeah. that. Yeah. And then Cambridge uh, also got into that deal uh, last minute as well. And what's interesting about Landgate and Combo Curve is that they're both portfolio companies of RIG, uh, the Rice Brothers um, family office. And so uh, Rice guys obviously have a knack for being able to get in some of these companies early. And then Mineralware, which uh, Mineralware has been around, I think, for about eight years or so. They were acquired for $18 million by SS&C Technology Holdings, which I'm not exactly sure what SS&C is, but it sounds like they probably have a portfolio of tech companies. Um, what I thought was interesting about this deal was the acquisition price, $18 million, said that it was going to add $5.5 million of annual recurring revenue. So that's only a 3.3x multiple on annual recurring revenue, which is extremely low for a technology company. But a couple of things here. One, it's all cash. 
So there's a premium on that $18 million all cash talks, especially when you've been in the, you know, you've been building the business for 18 months and you got to look at macro things. I mean, just a year and a half, two years ago, we're in an environment where, um, I'm sure mineralware, just like every other company in oil and gas, didn't know and, if they're going to make it or not. And, and, and random guys got fired. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Yeah. People just getting fired for being worthless like Chuck. Exactly. Um, so anyways, you look at this, this is interesting in its own right, because you look at mineralware and a fundamental problem in oil and gas tech is you know, I, I have VCs reach out to me over the last few years and like, hey, who's the next billion dollar oil and gas tech company? I'm like, if I tell you that, you're going to pay me for that. You know, <laughs> I was going to tell you. But the, the hard thing is, is getting to billion dollar valuation based off of revenue. And then you get to that point who acquires you and right. your pool really shrinks down. Um, you know, you've seen Inveris over the last few years come in and scoop up companies like Q Engineering, Mineral Soft, and those are typically in the $30 million range, which is like a really sweet spot for them. And so it's always been a challenge. Um, you know, how do you build a billion dollar company in the space and then get acquired? And then all of this is happening simultaneously with more of a macro uh, movement in tech markets where go look up any tech company, Shopify, it's drawn down 80% on market cap. Snapchat yesterday crashed. They're down 79%, I believe, over the last six months. You look at Airbnb, go look at Robinhood, SoFi, literally every technology company that has been trading at a 70, 80x multiple in the public market has drawn down. And then you look at what's happened over the last two years. I mean, there's just so much funny money injected into the economy. VCs are investing in companies at 100 to 200 hex multiples on revenue, which is just insane because used to, if you got a 15x, it wasn't that long ago, five years ago, you got a 15x, you were doing good. And so now all of these VCs, uh, which I spied it a little bit, but they're talking about, we got, you know, markets are crashing. We had to get back to fundamentals. It's like, fuck you. You're the one that was. <laughs> you were the one cutting the check six months ago. At, uh, Sweetie, X, I really do X, love you. Yeah, yeah. At 100x multiples. But, um, you know, energy, it's clear that we're running counter cyclically to tech, traditional tech. You know, I had a software engineer from Netflix reach out to me the other day. And I was like, hey, really interested in oil and gas and energy. So, you know, if I'm looking at macro trends, seems like next 10 years, there's going to be a lot of tailwinds here. seems that technology is really cooling off. found that to be really interesting because now you have talent that the energy industry needs starting to cycle through. But also capital flows seem like they may be cycling that you may have some of these large rounds from top tier VCs looking at energy tech. And But, you know, something I didn't get information on or data on we should do this next week is an evaluation of all the energy specs, all the electric vehicles, battery tech companies, because they've got fucking murdered yeah. over the last couple of months, too. So it'll be, uh, you know, there's just a lot happening both at a macro level and at a uh, just kind of micro level here in oil and gas tech. What do you think about all that? So note of full disclosure to the audience, I'm on the advisory board of Montrose Lane. <laughs> so to some degree, I'm talking my own book here, but um, two just kind of random thoughts. When you look at the transition we're going to go through in energy and we can say whether it's addition, transition, whatever, 
historically, the way things work is we adopt new technologies that are able to leverage the existing energy infrastructure, you know, because if, if there's going to be a hydrogen company that needs to lay all new hydrogen pipes across America, it's not going to work. It just isn't. Yeah. So in the course of doing that, hooking up renewables to traditional energy to grids, there is a massive amount of digitization that happens has to happen there. There got to be a lot of pipes, right? For yeah. all those assets to talk together. So I think for kind of the, the first time in my career in energy, cause I've been talking about this. I mean, my pitch book, I wrote at Stevens 25 years ago, Montrose Lane could use as a fundraising book, right? Mm -hmm. Just, I was talking all about energy technology and the potential for doing this. This is the first time I think we've seen a real impetus for this to happen. So it's not surprising that you're actually starting to see capital flows there the one thing i want to point out and we've got to figure this problem out and it's everybody's issue that we all need to uh, when i hang out and talk to energy technology companies 95 percent of the discussion is it took me 487 days to get approved as a vendor to chevron and then the next guy's like, well, I'm on day 282 with Chevron. <laughs> and so adoption of technology by energy companies, particularly the bigger players, we've got to figure out a way to streamline that. And I think it, ultimately the solution to all of this is all these companies are going to get thrown in one bucket and you'll have one publicly traded company, two publicly traded companies that are energy, energy technology, energy software, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that would go a long way because if you had 15 really great products and the one company was approved with Chevron, that will go a long way to actually achieving growth rates, integration, et cetera. Yeah. Bobby Faxelrod said, avoid the majors like the plague when you're first starting out. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Bobby's, um, I mean, it's, it's like chasing the Holy grail. Yeah. It'd be really great if you found it, but King Arthur never found it. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean this, and that's also what makes the space really tough is that the sales cycles are so incredibly long. And I remember back like in 2009, I remember a, uh, a company that was raising and they're talking to Silicon Valley VCs and these VCs just really didn't have an understanding of energy. And they're like, yeah, you know, we want to see a little bit more traction. You know, once you get 50 clients, we'll be interested And in the companies. Like once we have 50 clients, we don't need to raise any VC. <laughs> we'll be cash flowing pretty significantly. And so one, the from an operator's perspective, from a builder's perspective, it's hard to build a company when the sales cycles are so long, especially because you need those feedback loops to be able to build a product that's right. really good uh, for your end user. And then from a cash perspective, like, you know, I know guys, uh, I'll give a shout out to task here. Task has one of the best mindsets to building a company in this space. They haven't taken on any institutional capital. They raise a small seed round. They're like, Hey, you know, we think that we can build out to a few million dollars in revenue and then get acquired. 30 to 50 million dollar range but they've had to eat shit for like two years to bootstrap that company and right. build the product um and doing it themselves and that is a pretty successful model of building out technology but it's a hard i mean those guys left engineering jobs at bp <laughs> to right. go make nothing for a couple of years and so that's that's a tough ask for uh, a lot of people and then you know you can go raise 
you know, say that you raise a $5 million uh, seed round or series A, you're going to have pretty significant burn um, until you start flowing cash from one of these companies. So it's a, it's a hard chicken and egg uh, situation. I think part of this is even we can step up higher and the whole mindset of energy has always been proprietary secrets and we can't tell people what's in frac fluid because special sauce and all that. And I think that's the mindset of software buyers in the energy universe is just, we got to build it in house. We got a proprietary. Oh, if this is a good thing, we need to own it. And it's like, we need to standardize all that. I mean, 90% of the rest of the world. Oh, that software seems pretty cool. Let's try it. Ah, oh, it sucks. Doesn't work. Who cares? instead of studying it for years and years and then when you figure out it's really good then you go try to buy it just so you can use it proprietary <laughs> that's one of the, so that's one of the most frustrating things to me about oil and gas is first off none of your shit's proprietary none yeah. of it's secret um that that whole notion to me is just mind-blowing especially in the era of shale Okay, I get maybe when you're chasing conventional prospects back in the day, but those days haven't been around, at least in my career. And it's really eye-opening, especially to me when you work with the Bitcoin mining community, how collaborative they are. Like a lot of these companies are competing against each other, but like they, they know each other and they're right. friends with each other and it's friendly competition, but it's much more of an open source um, environment in oil and gas, very much closed off. And even to this day, it's still very much like that. And I think that that's changing a little bit with uh, younger generations. Because it needs uh, to. Yeah. It taking, just has to. And Bobby Faxelrod said, yet another reason to avoid the majors as well. They're just going to have you tell them how to do it and kick you to the curb. This is, yeah, could have a whole podcast on that because that's um, something that has been uh, a problem in the past. You come in there, they spend three, four months with you really picking your brain, looking at your technology and then like, Oh, we'll just build this in house ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Ran over, uh, no, good stuff. You know, when we started our podcast four years ago, oil and gas startups, didn't think that would still be a talking point, uh, four years later, but here we are. We're still talking about it. So anyways, who's finger of the week majors. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. Here we go. chuck all right the blowhards god what a week we had so you had the blowhards <laughs> <laughs> so all right so you had the norwegian finance ceo kirsten brathen said that energy shortages will cause some pain but it's worth it um and you're kind of like okay really people died today in exchange for people maybe not dying in the future i'm not sure i get that at least there's a little bit of recognition of the prescriptions they're advocating are going to cause pain to people. That's sort of new. Yeah. Alibaba's president, Michael Evans, uh, is creating an individual carbon footprint tracking. Tell me how that's going to go over with Oilfield Rando when we have a monitor <laughs> on him <laughs> measuring how much carbon he's producing. And, and uh, I'll get mine right after John <laughs> Kerry gets his. You had Faith Birol, I 
think that's how you pronounce the last name, of the IEA said, you know, short term, we do have some demand for hydrocarbons, but long term, it's bad. So we really need to be careful and, and not do too much in the way of investment. Holy shit. Talk about falling off a, a cliff. So anyway, I, wanna, I, I got my own finger of the week. Hold on one more. Oh, you got multiple? I got, I got one more. Yeah, it was a blowhard week. Okay. So the uh, Shell annual meeting, there was a whole group that went in there. And instead of Queens, we will, we will rock you. They were like, we will, we will shut you down or something like that. They fucking trash Queen, man. <laughs> you can go trash Shell all you want. I don't, I don't have any great love for Shell, but don't trash Queen. That's some Dude, you touch under pressure, you're fucked. I'm coming after you. <laughs> okay. All so right, who's your finger of the week? All right, I got a finger of the week for this doofus over on Twitter. Um, <laughs> his name's Eldon Katz. And he starts going off all day yesterday on Twitter talking about how oil and gas companies are price gouging. And um, this is the first tweet that I sent. Let me read this out. I should have brought right. up some screenshots, but I'm just going to read this to you. He said, yep. he's like, quote, in quotes, read an economics textbook is bootlicker Bootlicker speak for my religion has declared the people with the most economic power are actually powerless. If you're getting ripped off by companies making record profits, they literally had no choice in the matter. And then he goes on to say, I have legions of bootlicking economic geniuses in my mentions today who think oil companies have zero control over gas prices. They're all incapable of explaining or even acknowledging the fact that these companies are literally making record profits right now. So EFT gets into his uh, mentions talking about, hey, oil and gas uh Companies are price takers, not price makers. This is how the market works and just got blinders on. He's not listening to it. And so then he tweets out, uh, hold on, he deleted this tweet, but I got a screenshot because nice internet's forever, bitch. <laughs> um, so he says, today I learned that oil and gas Twitter is a thing and it's full of the absolute fucking worst people you will ever interact with. I feel flattered. When I see that, my heart feels warm, fuzzy. I love that we make someone feel like that that's incapable of intellectual honesty and understanding data, facts, economics, how markets work, not even open to hearing a discussion about it. So fuck you, finger of the week. So here's what I think we need to do with this dude. Let's set him up on a blind date with Lindsay and maybe they can double date with Alberta <laughs> and that'll be a freaking party for those guys. I love that. Well, welcome to Lonely Gas. I got two other quick things. Today is the runoff in the primaries. The Republican primary uh, has the railroad commissioner race. You've got the incumbent Wayne Christian versus upstart Sarah Stogner. That race matters to us. Go vote. Voting is actually uh, very important. And then the second thing I have, my parents' wedding anniversary. I think it's year 58 that yeah. they've been married. That's crazy. So thank you guys for getting together and fucking and bringing me into this existence. <laughs> I hope uh, I'm sending that to your parents. I hope they get to see that. So congratulations. <laughs> mom amazing. will be, what is fucking me? What are you saying? <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, but I love you, honey. How she raised four boys <laughs> and remains this naive to this day. All right, guys. Appreciate y'all tuning in for this week's show. We'll be back next week, uh, hopefully with a lot of good energy news. Maybe do a review of energy SPAC market because I think that'll be pretty uh, interesting. So Yeah, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Uh, tomorrow I'm dropping on Chuck Yates Needs a Job with Brian Gitt. So we talk all through 
his story in a nutshell is he was a sustainability guy for 20 years because he loved the environment. And he woke up one day and became to them Ben Solo. <laughs> it's kind of like, oops. But we go through economics of, of all that stuff. And he's a really thoughtful guy that cares a lot about the environment. So I think it's a it's a good podcast. So make sure you subscribe to Chuck Yates Needs a Job. Subscribe to BDE. Tell your friends about us. Cool. We'll catch you guys next week.